You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Tom Walker. He won the British Breakthrough Act Award at the 2019 Brit Awards, and he's just recently released his debut album, What a Time to Be Alive. Along with that, he's also a truly lovely guy, and I got to meet him for the first time just a couple weeks back while he was in New York. We mostly talked about how What a Time to Be Alive came to be, but we largely talked about just songs and music in general. Tom is one of those people who doesn't mind going into the stories and the intricacies of how his songs came to be. And he's not afraid of sharing a laugh over the really emotional and sometimes um, downright weird experiences that we face in life, the universal experiences, might add. This is a great episode to make and can't thank Tom enough for being part of it really keen to talk to him again but for now i'm more than keen for you to hear this talk so let's jump into it this is the 405 exchange with tom walker enjoy Holy shit, you just want a break. Yeah. What, fuck. What the fuck <laughs> is that like? Uh, crazy, you know? Like, because we were nominated for two. And I was just like, I was at the awards thinking, do you know what? Adele got nominated for the Breakthrough Artist and didn't win. So I was like, whatever happens today, I'm cool. Like, we're here, we've been nominated for two. Yeah. So I started drinking beers. Like, <laughs> so I'm like five beers in. And then the the speech the the award comes up and we win it and I was just like mate, so I'm like half caught of like gallivanted up onto the stage and done my speech which to be honest I watched it back and I was quite impressed with myself because I completely winged it forgot to <laughs> forgot to mention a few people you know but yeah. I feel like you know that's acceptable when you've never won a Brit before, um so yeah absolutely buzzing like yeah. incredible feeling good timing couldn't be better yeah. with the album coming out. And the first of March, so yeah. Yeah, I want to stay on this for a minute because I mean, kind of obviously, I think this is definitely the first time we've had anyone on the show who's won a Brit. Sure. So I think it's worth going into this specific bit. But you know, you always hear about the ideas of people winning awards, and it's like their life flashes before their eyes or whatever. Or time goes so. Is it more of a mo- thing that time goes super fast, and you're just like shit, 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 shit? It went super fast. Like I feel like I hugged everyone too quickly <laughs> when I watched the video back. I was like, I was like, oh my god, I need to hug everybody right now, and then like run to the stage and. In hindsight, I had loads of time. I should have like milked the hell out of it. You know? <laughs> what a I will take my time. This is my time. It's my stage. Um, but yeah, it was just crazy. You know, me and the label were so buzzing. We worked so hard because it's one of the few Brits that's a public vote. Yeah. A lot of the other ones is done by like a panel. Yeah. So there's people like Georgia Smith, who's an incredibly talented artist, by the way. Like everybody in the list was like ridiculous. That's why I was so surprised I won. Yeah, yeah. She's got like a million and a half probably more Instagram followers and like she started talking about it and I was just thinking like we're against some serious competition here and it's a public vote and these people have got massive followings like everybody in the category had like a big following I was just like we're gonna have to really try hard and push to get this and I just can't believe all the hard work paid off we literally did 22 days in a in a row without a day off 
Jesus Holy Christ. Like, it was crazy. That's tough. You know, I think what's really wicked about your work, and this might sound a little bit goofy, but you're the type of artist where it's clear that people are only paying attention to music because there's not necessarily, like, a gimmick around you. It's not I'm like... definitely not a fashion icon, put it that <laughs> exactly. way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, that that's also sick as well because, you know, I think it, there's a lot of people in music that are, it is fashion and music together, yeah. which which is great, and I'm totally, like, you know... I'm or, like, a marketing package around the music. Well, not even marketing. It's just, like, Georgie Smith is, like, gorgeous. Yeah. Always wearing awesome clothes. Has the best style. Yeah. Like, wears, it, like, does stuff in collaboration with amazing brands. And she can sing and write a song amazing. I'm just, like, that's the whole thing. But for me, it's, like, I'm not really into the... the I'm just into the music side. I'm just into the songwriting. I'm, you know... That's yeah. my thing, and it's nice to, it's nice to know that you can get by and win a Brit just on that. That's the thing I wanted to touch on because I mean, it almost sounds cliche to say at this point, but I think the fact that you could have an artist where it's clear that people are reacting to the music first and foremost and almost only, and that's recognized in two thousand nineteen. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was like Rag and Bone Man, who had a massive, massive success in the UK over the last three years, is like. This guy who's like six foot four, built like a brick house. He's when I'm st- I'm a big tall guy, right? When I'm st- <laughs> when I'm stood next to this guy, I'm just like whoa. But he makes you know I wouldn't say he's conventionally beautiful, but I think he looks sick, mate. He's got his style, but he, looks he like a badass, like. yeah. But he's a bigger guy, is what I'm getting at, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And there's not a lot of pop stars who are like the you know, not conventionally skinny or whatever it is, you know. And yeah, I just yeah. think it's cool that the music still speaks for itself. No, I think that's very important. Um, you have your debut album coming out soon, uh, aptly titled What a Time to Be Alive. And yeah. I want to ask a lot about this. Like, first off, where did you make the majority of the album? Everywhere. Like, we, we recorded. So I wrote the album over the last, like, three, four years. One song I even wrote when I was 19. Like, it's really stood the test of time. But we recorded it last year because I wanted everything to be fresh. Like, we had some of the songs recorded, but I wanted to go back in and, like, because sounds change quickly, you know? Yeah. And I wanted to go in and freshen everything up. So I worked with Jim Abyss, Mike Spencer, and Steve Mack, and Jonathan Quornby as well, actually, on one of the tracks. Um, and we worked with those four producers over the last year. And we, we did so much stuff last year. Like, we did 120 flights, two European tours, two UK tours, went to America, did a tour there, first headline tour, went to Australia, went to Mexico, like... Did so much stuff while recording this album and finishing it, and it was like I don't know how, I don't know how I managed to get it done to be honest, but I did. Well, it's really incredible about the names you just named, especially Jim Abyss. What oh, I'm yeah. familiar with in regards to all of them is that they're all big proponents of telling artists to not overthink things. Totally. For you though, as like an artist, where you're like pretty much working on your debut album, mm. was it weird almost constantly being reminded of that? Because I reckon that's probably what it was like in the studio. I think because I had a time limit on it, the album benefited from that. I think if I'd had like an unlimited amount of time to just mess about and overthink every little detail, which I would have done because I'm an artist and that's yeah. what artists do, I think the album wouldn't have benefited from that. Um, and we'd made instinctual decisions based on what we were hearing on the day at the time because we knew we had to get it done. Yeah. And I think that's a really good way to work because if you... You leave an artist with something for too long, he's probably gonna end up ruining it and overcomplicating it. And that's a good point. You know, with the writing, like I try and do the same with the writing. Like my kind of idea is, if you have to spend more than four days writing a tune, it's too, it's too fucking complicated. Really? You know? Yeah. I think all the best tunes that are written in a day. Really? Yeah. I think you've been building up the idea in your mind 
of what you want the tune to be about over, it could be three months, right? Yeah. You got this idea or something that's happened to you or to your mates, playing around your brain, in your subconscious, and then when you finally sit down and you're ready and it's the right time to write that song that's been playing, then you get it all out in the day. And those songs for me are the ones that you've internalised it for a long time, but you write it all in the day. And those are for me are the best ones. That's really interesting to hear because, and I think it's probably the first time I've heard that. I've definitely heard of artists talk about songs being instantaneous. Yeah. But I've definitely heard a lot of artists also talk about the matter of like a song taking months or maybe they like sat on the song for a while and then it came back to them. Sure. I mean, it's different like recording something and it taking a month. Like I get, because yeah. like there's a lot of aspects to recording. There's a lot of different ways to do stuff. And, to, and it's good to really experiment with recording sometimes. But in terms of like writing the tune on an acoustic guitar or on a piano, yeah. I think if you if you can write a tune in a day that you can sing to your mates on an acoustic and it's catchy and me- well not catchy memorable yeah. is the better word then you're on to a winner I think do you say, do you then think some of the I don't want to say war but some of the battle within that is making sure that when you do go to recording that the core of the song has not changed too much I mean obviously you want to build upon a song but yeah. that's pretty much that element of play, being able to play on a guitar and singing it that has to be pretty prominent so but right. I think that's that's kind of when you go in with people like Jim Abyss and with Steve Mack and Mike Spencer and Jonathan Cornby, you know that it's going to be... Then They're not going to let you ruin it. They've agreed to do the song. These are big guys. They're not going to like just work with anybody. You know, like I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but like they, we work together because we really get on and we have a wicked musical relationship, which is like really hard to come by. It really is, especially with three like big guys and... They wouldn't let me ruin it. I really want to just point out real quick for some people who are listening who might not be familiar with those names. Uh, go Google and realize that those names are pretty much behind every album you've listened to in the past <laughs> 10 years. For you, though, I mean, I mean, clearly you're a music fan. Otherwise, you wouldn't be involved in music. Yeah. I mean, the fact you were able to get those guys to be involved with your music, that must have been quite a trip. Well, Jim Abyss produced my favourite album of all time which is the first Arctic Monkeys album of whatever people uh, say yeah. I am that's what I'm not also the first Bombay Bicycle album which is yeah exactly album. and the Temper Trap who yeah. I loved I didn't even know he'd done the Temper Trap when we went into the studio and he did Adele and he's like any ridiculous credible album that has broken that artist it's normally him that's done yeah. it and uh, I had so much fun with him He's he's he does things properly and old school and takes time to record really awesome amazing guitar sounds and his studio is a playground of just lush, amazing guitar pedals and synths and amps and all this retro gear. It's just so sick recording with him. I can't tell you. It's awesome. Yeah, and I've heard about Mark. He's like quite a scientist and how he thinks about deconstruction. Mike, you mean, sorry. Mike, sorry. Mike. Yeah. And how he like approaches a song and like making sure it can be distilled. Like. He's the guy that like finishes things for people when they don't know where to go with it. So to make songs with him is, is great because a lot of the songs I did with him like I'd recorded versions of them and done the production myself and I was like look mate I've gotten to a point here where I cannot I can't take this any further because I'm so limited by what I can do in terms of production yeah. he just takes that idea with the existing parts and just makes it this thing you can't even imagine but you're so into it still you know Yeah. like he's just ridiculous and again with Steve Mack man it's like so simple but effective. He really knows how to strip everything out. He just gets everything that's unnecessary. Steve Mack will take it out and then just put the actual integral parts that you really need for people to make this song a big song. You know, like yeah. I don't know. They're both like and Jonathan Cornby works in this little studio in Rack. 
this amazing little writing room out the back of Rack and just he's just a boss at just getting <laughs> in and just doing vocals in a little booth and then he's got loads of amazing vintage guitars in the back and we did Just You and I where we wrote this mad tuning for the song which was like C sharp A E E A C sharp it makes no sense to any <laughs> guitarist out there and sat down and it, like at his studio like in Rack there was like a, one, a, a Gibson J45 I want to say and it was like one of the first models from the 60s and they had like a ridiculous strap from the 60s and we used all these guitars to make this incredible tone where it was three guitars all running together that sounded like one guitar and I don't know, man. All these people I've got to work with, it's just been such an incredible journey Like over the last year doing it. It's been fucking mental, but just That's really beautiful. inspiring, you know? I really want to ask you about some of your songs. Uh, sure. The first tune of yours I heard was Angels, actually. Yeah. And um, one of the things I really caught on with that song is I really loved how it built up throughout the entirety of the track. Yeah. Would you? And I, I feel like in terms of the album... That's a good like example. That track specifically of like how you approach songwriting on the album almost as a whole. Would you say that track kind of provided how you wanted to write the other songs and record them? That was a big one for me because that was the first time that Shabs, who runs Relentless Records, adored that song, and we wanted to do something really special with it. And we got a thirty-piece string orchestra in to do the strings on that track. Jesus Christ. And I brought, and it was in Angel Studios in London, which is like a beautiful poetic thing that we ended up recording the strings for Angel at Angel Studios. Um, <laughs> I had brought my mum and dad down on the day who had never seen anything like that, and they heard the first cut of it after never hearing the song before, and they couldn't fucking believe it. And they were there in the bloody corner of the studios in tears, and it was just one of those really special career moments where I was like this isn't just like me messing about anymore writing songs in my bedroom this is like we're here with like some of the best musicians in London and they are doing an arrangement for my track you know and it's just like it's a, it was a crazy moment yeah what I love just now of you recounting that experience and I like always these types of moments where I get to tell the listener about a facial expression but your facial <laughs> expression is very modest of like this is fucking ridiculous right now. yeah I mean it is man I mean some of the stuff we're doing it's just it's crazy to think about it. It's, it's, it's nuts. I never thought I would get as far as I'd got, and I've gotten even further than what I thought was possible. So, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, Recently, just you and I had been uh, re-released, and it's interesting how, even with the internet, that that can still happen. Yeah. That's kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the radio world for you, isn't it? I mean, I, I re-released that track because me and my uh, fiancé, we've been together five and a half years, and in August, we got engaged. Oh, and congratulations. I wrote, oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I wrote Just You and I for her three years ago in my basement one night uh, when we were doing a long distance relationship and we were, uh, I was having to drive from London to Sheffield, which is like 200 miles Jesus Christ. to see her every weekend. And the whole song's about that and to celebrate us getting engaged and how far we'd come as a couple and how far the song had come. I did a new version with a producer called Mark Ralph. And uh, we put it out, and it just it started going crazy, man. It's really like one of those things I wanted to do is like a nice thing into the album, and now it's I think it's it's looking like it's going to be top ten in the UK next week, which is sick. Well, what's it feel like to you knowing that like obviously people are reacting to your songs in a general sense, but what's it feel like to know a song that you wrote so long ago can have even a second life? So cool, 
because you never expect these things and it really is like it's the lyrics in that song I've been asked to do so many weddings for that song because <laughs> it's like people's first dance like I'd, I've done five weddings now like, you but, said you said yes and that's just for so close friends said, close yeah. friends and family I'll do it for disclaimer for anyone listening. yeah disclaimer for anybody who's like <laughs> likes the song like I'm buzzing that you like it but if I don't know you I'm not playing any weddings <laughs> <laughs> um, you made a song with some people that I care about very deeply uh, rudimental they're oh like, yeah they're a group i've worked with like a lot over the years I love and, them. Uh, what i really loved uh the song's called walk alone yeah i love the fact that you could tell it's a rudimental song but there's enough of you in there where it could also be your own song like i sure. feel like you achieved that really well yeah thank you and i feel like what came across throughout that song is that it felt like there was a sense of catharsis from just writing and recording that song would that be the case like what was your experience working on that one it was really it was a tough one for me because I had input in the writing, but they had the bulk of the song kind of done. Yeah. And I never do that, never. Like, all the songs that I've, are on my album, I've come up with the idea and then co-written them with people. You know, I've come in with the idea of the song in my head mm-hmm. and then we've put pen to paper. Um, with this one, they came to me with the idea and asked me to build on top of it, which was difficult for me. But we've totally pulled it off. And it took a long time to get the right vocal and to get the right sentiment. Because when I write something for my voice, I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses, right? So I'll pinpoint the things that work for me really well. With this, it was really difficult to sing because it was originally written by a female. And the range on it was massive. So I had to really make it my own. Um, And I did that with the Rudimental Boys. And, you know, I love working with them. They're like a family, man. They're sick. I played at Alexandra Palace with them, which is... Not far from my house in London, where I've yeah. seen like Fat Freddy's Drop and uh, and Andy C and do you know what I mean like these huge bands and I went on stage with them the same night like Amory and John Newman and all these people did with uh, with Rudimental and like shared a, a small part of their show which was incredible. Yeah, we're there at that show. Were you at the yeah. show? No way. Yeah, yeah. that was sick. my second time seeing them at Ali Palace. So I, was I was so like, fucking nervous, man. Yeah. Jesus Christ, they they they're so sick live as well. Like I went into the crowd afterwards and watched the rest of the gig. Yeah, because it's like a big for people who haven't seen them live. It's literally like seeing like a big carnival on stage, and somehow it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's madness, isn't it? Yeah. Like you just get past your mic, and then somebody's like, "Cool, on you go." And you're like, uh, all right then. <laughs> so yeah, no, they, they are like a family on tour. Like before the, the crowd came in, uh, they had like, uh, some of the members have just had kids and like their kids were like riding little unicycles like yeah. around the venue beforehand. And they just seem like this kind of awesome family. And uh, I like their five man. Yeah. It's really beautiful seeing how that could exist. Yeah, totally. Like business, yeah. yeah, well like bringing the, the whole bringing your family into the tour world is, I don't have kids or anything, so it's a total new thing to me but it's really nice to see how they were all making it happen yeah Yeah, it's cool it's beautiful um you know it's been a little bit over a year now since leave a light has come out and sure i want to hear you talk about that song and like you know it's another one that's like went on to have a life of its own i mean yeah how does it feel like to have a song like that because i feel like that one's much more poignant than anything you've done um that song for me was like a a bit of a tricky one because it it was so personal and it was about, like, basically, I had this terrible fucking week where my auntie, who was in her 40s, had just, like, dropped dead in a shopping mall with no warning, uh, which was, like, awful. And kind of my two young cousins and my uncle were just, like, completely distraught, as were the rest of the family. Uh, and then also one of my friends was, like, getting really, like, involved with drinking too much, which was kind of affecting his mental health. Yeah. And... 
it was two things that just fucking collided together this week and I was really struggling and my way of dealing with things is to write a song and the idea of that song is like we're all going through some shit here but I'm like here for everybody like I'm here for all of you I know this is a fucking tough time yeah. and I know this is a fucking dark little place but I've got your back um, so yeah it's really difficult telling somebody who's like getting into drinking when they're an adult that they shouldn't be drinking because they're an adult and you're not their dad or their mum and you're not like so I just I don't know the whole thing was like a bit of a weird experience for I me. can imagine yeah I mean yeah. not to hammer on too much about it but I would go as far as say it almost feels strange to tell another adult anything yeah well definitely yeah but you know you're a shit friend if you don't tell somebody who is like have like having a bad time if they can't see they're having a bad time but they are you should fucking try and say something even if it means the relationship's worse off because at least you'll know when you tried to fucking do something about it you know rather than just sit there and let it happen no that's completely true i mean i don't want to like keep hammering on the terms of like people's reactions but i mean sure. it has to be said that song the way people have been reacting to it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, yeah. on YouTube alone, the song has well, the video for the song has well over a hundred million views. Yeah, and it's fucking nuts, isn't it? It is, and I mean, I don't want to like make you go like, what the fuck? But I mean, that's more than the population of the whole UK. I mean, when you hear that, like, what is? Well, what somebody is told me the other day that including YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music and all the streaming services, if you combine all that together, it's had half a billion streams. Which is fucking mental. What do you do with that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's so crazy. When, you, like, half, when I was growing up, like a billion didn't even seem like a real number. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it didn't even seem like a thing. It was just like, That's not fucking. That's not a real number. <laughs> you know? And now it's like somebody told me that the other day, and I was just like, yeah, that can't be right. It just can't be right. And it's mad. It's mad that it connected with so many people. And some of the stories I've had from people all over the world is like some really heartbreaking stuff man like people have gone through some like i thought i'd gone through some fucking shit with my friend and and with my auntie and people have gone through some shit man like people have some really hard times all around the globe and it's like nice that they found like a moment of like solace in that song you know where they kind of where it helped them through a tough time because honestly some of the stories i've read that people have sent to me are fucking beggar belief yeah that's really crucial like um I only have a couple more questions for you, but thanks for taking the time to chat today. Hey, absolute pleasure. It. No worries at all. Yeah. You know, um, playing live has obviously been a major aspect of your life. I mean, I imagine ever since you started playing music. And um, tell me, like, what, do, what, in what ways do you feel playing live has influenced what you do in the studio? I've heard some artists talk about how they're always aware of them being separate places, but I feel like from what I've heard in your songs, you are always keenly aware of the live aspect that eventually has to come. Well, yeah. I, I, love, I love playing guitar. Like I'm a keen guitarist, man. I, I don't, I don't think the record has loads of guitar on it, but it's not like here's a ten minute solo, enjoy. Yeah. When I do it live, I think when you come and see a live show, you want it to be a live show. When I go and see artists, and literally it sounds like them singing over a backing track of their fucking album, it so disappoints me. Yeah. You know, I want to go and see what it means to this artist to play a live gig, and it should be a live show. Like we've been doing. Like it started off where it was a ten or a ticket, and then it was twenty, and now now we're doing something big for this tour. Like it's a big, sold out UK tour, massive venues. I think Manchester's like two and a half thousand people. That's by far the biggest thing I've ever done in the UK. Jesus, this is going to be proper. We've booked like ten fucking days to make sure that everything is going to be absolutely solid. 
spent a fortune on lighting. There's no way I'm going to make a penny on this <laughs> No way I'll make a fucking penny. But it will be sick. And I just want the fans to see it and realise that it's not just the... It's not just like, you know, leave a light on. Yeah. It's like this big thing. Proper artist, big band, show, you know. Yeah. And I want people to like be invested in that because I think a proper artist has a proper album but they have a proper fucking show as well. Yeah. If you want to feel better about uh, what you just mentioned about the lighting rig, a few nights ago I was with this uh, Norwegian DJ, Matoma. Right. And he was uh, performing at Terminal 5 and I was looking at the lights set up like over the balcony with him. And I was saying to him, like, wow, that's, like, a really great, like, setup. That's going to be really sick to see. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, man. I mean, with the money we had to put on this tour and just to, like, travel with it and turn it on. Yeah. Uh, I'm just about to break even. Only. Yeah. And then I looked at him and I was like, oh, wow. And then it didn't, like, click with me right away. And then he yeah. said, there was a pause. And he said, yeah, I'm a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, what I'm saying. That's what's you, would ex- <laughs> you would totally expect it for a band, maybe. But he's a DJ. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's cool about this UK tour you have coming out? You're gonna be on the road with one of my favorite people, Jade Bird. I think oh that's mate, really Jade Bird is awesome. She's so cool. We did like first thing I ever did with like BBC introducing. We did like a show where it was me, Jade Bird, and Mahalia. Yeah. Uh, that's and amazing. I was like, yeah, it was a, it was quite the lineup. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. All I think all of us have come so far since then. I think this was like two years ago, maybe that's a year and nice. a half. Uh, but yeah, I love Jade Bird. She's got her own style. I love that she's like breaking into the US market because it's so hard, man. It's so difficult. Yeah, it is. And she's coming out here and just doing her thing and everyone buzzes off it. And that's so sick because she's just been doing her thing. Like, I feel yeah. like it hasn't changed. Like, she's just been being Jade Bird and like, yeah. credit to her, man. We she's had amazing. her on the show like around this time last year. And something that I really loved about her and caught on is like, it was really striking to me how over, overtly ambitious she is. Like, she doesn't apologize for being ambitious at all, which I thought was really special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, her voice and the guitar playing and the band and everything, it's just, it's a, it's a sick setup. I'm slightly worried about having her on tour with her, to be honest, because she's so goddamn good, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, she, it's one of those artists you invite along and you're like, please don't make me look bad. <laughs> uh, before I let you go here, one of my favorite things to ask artists in a myriad of different fashions is what ends up surprising them and one of those things tends to be about the work they make now obviously loads of people are going to ask you about the reactions in regards to other people but something i'm keen on ending this talk on is yeah when you got to listen back to your album for the first time when it was finished what do you think surprised you the most about yourself i i, I cried when i when i finished it because i was so fucking emotional it taken so much to get it right and the whole mixing process was like a nightmare like trying to bring all of it together to be this coherent body of work was so hard and it took so many hours and I was traveling loads at the time so I couldn't listen to it on the same set of speakers I had to go to all these different studios and I was traveling with like fucking six pairs of headphones and three portable speakers and all this stuff to just make sure that it was it was proper and it was right and when my dad who was like uh, as it was my A&R man when I was a kid you know I would play stuff to him and he would be like this is good this is bad this could be better yeah phoned me up and him and him and my mum were like in tears on the phone and I just burst into tears and was just like so proud that I got it all done man because it's what a fucking journey like it's so not easy getting your first album done it's fucking crazy and we, we did it you know and we did it in like in the best way possible and it, it sounds sick I literally couldn't have made it any better yeah that's really amazing man and like I almost hate ripping on you on this, but from everything we've just talked about and how you come across, you strike me as the type of person that within that moment, 
you're probably like teasing yourself, going like, "Am I crying over my album?" Yeah, fucking hell, I was, mate. Honestly, <laughs> I was like, crying. "You're being so ridiculous right now." I was in a hotel in Mexico <laughs> when I finally got it done, looking out the fucking window, like, "Fucking hell, what a place to like finish your fucking album." I'm here in Mexico, never been here before, on the pe- on the phone to my fucking parents, crying in a hotel room. <laughs> you know? well, I can't wait for the world to hear Tom. That's what talking about. Hey, absolute pleasure. Right? Thank you. Yeah, it's been wicked. Course. Lost hope, keeping dreams afloat. I stand just a man on a tightrope. Got faith, but I'll never know. She. Re-